0: Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. Welcome to Back to School Again, the show for midlife learners. This season, we're pleased to partner with Athabasca University as we take our show production fully online. Athabasca University is celebrating 50 years as Canada's online university. On this show, we talk with midlife learners about their educational journeys, sharing their stories about how they are balancing the demands of school work and family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. What happens when you love what you do, but because of medical reasons, you need to change careers? That's what happened to my guest, Kristen Zabos. She was a successful photographer running her own business for the past decade. Now she's winding that up and heading back to school to retrain in a completely new area, biological anthropology. And finished the degree she started a decade ago. Kristen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So Kristen, I had to look up biological anthropology and I'm going (laughs) to ask you to uh, tell us about that field. But before we go there, let's start with talking about your first career as a photographer. So that to me sounds like a dream career. How did you get into photography?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. So I was always artistic. I was a dancer growing up. I loved to paint, um, draw a little bit here and there. And I met a boy and he had a camera <laughs> and he said, you should try this. And that's pretty much the end of the story. <laughs> I um, I fell in love with it. Honestly, it, um, it was so nice to be able to take a photo and hate it and just delete it and never think about it again. Whereas with a painting, I felt like I was never done the painting. I never knew when the last brushstroke would come in. And I was such a perfectionist with it that, um, yeah, I just fell in love with the digital side of photography. So I essentially just started there and it just, yeah, that's the beginning, I guess.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And there must be something like super satisfying and and the immediacy of it all and just being able to have like an outcome. Um, I'm wondering, was photography the reason you didn't finish the degree way back then? Or or what were the reasons that you didn't actually complete that degree a decade ago?
1: Oh, gosh, this is a layered story. Um, We have time,
0: Kristen, so feel
1: free. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So at the time, I was running a landscaping company, as well as in university part-time. Um, And then yeah, the photography side of things just sort of took over. I really was passionate about learning about how to photograph weddings. And so I took a couple summers to like sort of understudy under two different photographers in two different provinces. Um, And yeah, I was just splitting my time too much, basically, and something had to give. And yeah, photography seemed like the answer at the time. (laughs) Wow.
0: And what was it that drew you? I mean, you you mentioned being artistic. You mentioned liking the outcomes um, and that's great. And a lot of people have photography as a hobby. But what was it that made you decide, you know, I really want to do this as a as something more than a hobby?
1: Oh, God, <laughs> <laughs> that's such a great question. Um, I think that at the time. I thought, wow, you can make a career out of something that is so fun. (laughs) And yeah, so I wanted to pursue it. I've always been an entrepreneur. I'm what they call a serial entrepreneur. So um, I pretty much think that I can make a business out of anything. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I saw a couple like really successful photographers, like I said, that I was understudying. And I thought I can do that. And that would be sweet. Yeah,
0: I, I like this. You describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur. And I, I want to ask you about that. Um, and I, I want to ask about running your own business in general. Um, and this is something, you know, I'm at this point right now where I'm, I'm seriously contemplating uh, doing this. And I guess I'm, I'm looking for a little bit of advice here in terms of, you know, <laughs> what, uh, what's great about it? What's uh, not so great about it? And, you know, how do you overcome those challenges?
1: Oh, my gosh, I'm not sure if I'm the best person to talk to about that right now. <laughs> I don't want to say I'm jaded, but I'm a bit pessimistic at the moment. Well, um, tell me about that. I, I I think
0: that's, you know, sometimes the best advice comes out of life's hard won lessons.
1: Yeah, I think that we romanticize entrepreneurship a lot in our society. Um, we sort of feel like the nine to five grind is like very confining and caging And entrepreneurship looks so luxurious and I don't know, like autonomous or something. But the reality of owning a business is that the business never sleeps. So neither do you. (laughs) And that's the downside of it for sure. I mean, there's obviously it has its perks. You get to, if you're self-motivated, you get to push yourself and challenge yourself and that part is really awesome and I will definitely miss that part about photography. But the other part of that is that, you know, you're always on, you're always selling yourself. You always feel like you have to be promoting yourself and yeah, working on the business at at all times. Like even when the business is running itself and it is like a well-oiled machine, you're still in the back of your mind because of that entrepreneurial spirit. Like you're still thinking of the next thing and what could go wrong. And yeah, it's um a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, and I'm really I'm I'm glad to hear you be honest about what it really takes, um, because as you say, I think there is this romantic notion of being your own boss, setting your own hours, turning down work when it doesn't suit you, working right. from the beach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my god, and that's exactly what you hope that it will become, but. Then something like a global pandemic hits and you realize that that's just never going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, um, you know, let's talk a bit more in, in, about your back to school story. So, you know, you're doing great. You're a photographer. You're successful. You're running your business. Um, and then there's an injury. So tell us about what exactly happened.
1: Well, I was starting to have pain in my shoulder. And so I went to see a doctor and they said that I had, well, that particular doctor said that they called it actually photographer syndrome because they see it so often. Um, But it was essentially my rotator cuff had a bunch of fluid in it and I had a bunch of tears in my pec. And so they just essentially said, like, if you don't want to have to have surgery or cortisone shots, you need to slow down. And so, as you know, I'm sure, as an entrepreneur, that's not really an answer. (laughs) Slowing down isn't really a thing when you're running a business. So um, that was my first sort of like inclination that something was going wrong in my body. The second one was a long-term injury. Um, Doctors told me that I had carpal tunnel for a decade. I've had wrist pain for actually it's been more than a decade. But anyways, long story short, um, I have this amazing chiropractor Um, and she decided to x-ray it and she found a ginormous cyst inside of my scaphoid bone in my wrist and it required surgery immediately. Um, and I am a stubborn Ukrainian woman. And I said, I can't have surgery right now. I'm about to go into my wedding season. You're going to have to postpone this surgery. (laughs) And so my surgeon was like, what is wrong with this woman? But anyways, um, so that time in between being diagnosed with this cyst and thinking about how it was going to fit into my business, which is such a it sounds so ridiculous to say, but um, I really had the time to think about the fact that perhaps I wasn't going to be able to do this job anymore. And that was really scary.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, it all makes sense to me in that, um You know, sometimes we just have to step up and do what we need to do. But when our health is on the line and it's conflicting with our source of income, I mean, those are some really tough choices to make. Um, And I'm even thinking about that as we're all working from home in uh, less than ergonomic situations. Totally. uh, Probably putting ourselves at at risk um, as well.
1: Yeah, the kitchen table desk.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um and so we're all I I think your story is is really indicative of of something that many of us, you know, might have to confront at some point, um perhaps not to the extent you did, but at some level. So, yeah. you know, so obviously this this got serious and got to the point where you had to make um a decision to to leave photography and like tell me a bit about the thought process that went behind that. What was that like?
1: Well, that I still can't really articulate properly because the way that my business works is very, not strange, but it's very unique, let's say. So brides and grooms plan their weddings like 16 to 18 months in advance. So I always know what my year or second year away from me is going to look like, which is not normal for most people. Um, But I don't really... Get to like plan short term trips basically, or like short term adventures or short term anything because I can see so far into my future (laughs) and how booked up I already am that um, it's really hard to make decisions like for your personal life when your business is booked so far in advance. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but um, yeah, so it was it was tricky to, to sort out basically. Cause like I said, when I was diagnosed, I was going into my wedding season, but then when I was trying to look at my calendar and find like an opportune time to have this surgery, um, there was such a short window. And that window was essentially between December 1st and January 15th. That was it. Um, because the surgery was large enough that, I needed um, to be immobilized for at least 12 weeks and then I needed a bunch of physio after. So my surgeon suggested that I um, I would need a minimum of three months off work, but she would suggest taking closer to six months, um, especially because my camera is so heavy, right? That it was taxing on my body and she was just worried that um, the surgery would have to be sort of, I guess, redone if I messed it up. but. Yeah, anyway, so that that part was really, really complicated. So luckily, I had the best surgeon. Like, I cannot say enough good things about her. Um, but she really worked around my schedule, and we tried to get me booked in for December. And then, as anyone who has had surgery knows, you get bumped around. Um, things are never set in stone with that sort of thing. So we did book it in for the middle of December. But um, I didn't end up having surgery until Valentine's Day. So that's the timing of that. Um, But in the midst of all of that, I guess I decided, well, (laughs) I might as well throw another curveball in here and just apply for university because I wanted to finish this degree that I had started. um, But I always missed the deadline for it. And so I, I looked at the U of A website and I realized that I had two weeks to get my application in. Um, So I thought, you know, this is kind of a kismet situation. I can't let this go. So I applied and I was accepted. And so I guess I'm going back to university in September and having surgery in December. So let's just, you know, (laughs) put it all on my plate at once. Amazing.
0: I mean, having that kind of major surgery um, is is challenging enough. Um, But then also having that weight of knowing that You had to do it in a certain timeline. What if you didn't recover on time? I mean, totally, totally unpredictable elements. Um, And then, you know, taking that opportunity uh, to go back to school. And sometimes it's interesting when life presents you with that window and you go, oh, I'm just going to jump in and do this now. Um, So let's get into that part of the story. So you're going back to um, (laughs) take biological anthropology. What exactly is that?
1: (laughs) That's a great question. So it used to be called physical anthropology, um, but... I don't know how, how much I should get into this, but that doesn't help
0: me at all. So please, (laughs) please explain.
1: (laughs) So essentially I'm trying to, um, say this in a kind way. Um, but essentially physical anthropology started with a bunch of, um, like picture Indiana Jones types of guys, only like way less sexy. Um, but they were interested in Let's call it history, but it was very racial-based history. They were trying to prove that, um, you know, Caucasian people were the best race, and that's where it sort of stems from. Oh wow! So yeah, I know it's the history of anthropology is very awful, um, but that's okay because we're changing it now. Um, so even in the name, it's bi- it's now biological anthropology because it has nothing to do with. You know, testing the skull size of different um, racial profiles to see who has the biggest brain and who's smarter than one another. And all of that has gone out the the door. So anthropology has a large umbrella. It has archaeology, biological anthropology, um, cultural anthropology, linguistic anthropology. So there's all these different facets. And so my particular interest was always in the biological side of things. Um, And that initially stemmed from my growing up in Saskatchewan. Um, I'm from a small town, but I went to school in Saskatoon. And so I don't know if you've ever been to Saskatoon or know anything about it.
0: I've been there once and it was a cute little town. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a quaint little place, but it is uh, quite a racist town. Sorry, Saskatoon, but you should just own that (laughs) and so it's um it's very divided like the indigenous community is very segregated in Saskatoon and I I would always drive through the area where they lived and I always just felt like gut-wrenched my heart would just hurt and so I always wanted to help them but you know coming in as like a white woman I always felt like I didn't I didn't have anything to offer them And then um, at the time, there was the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement that was coming up. And I thought, oh, my God, like if I could get into biological anthropology, I could perhaps work with the RCMPs and I could help bring closure to these families who had lost these women. And so that's where it all started.
0: (laughs) That's super interesting. And I can kind of relate to you. So I grew up in small town, uh, B.C., And and so I kind of relate to this whole idea of like the town I lived in was surrounded by many indigenous communities, but there was always kind of this divide going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I sort of relate to that part of the story Um, and, you know, the sense of you wanting to kind of do something positive, you know, to kind of maybe bridge that gap. Um, Now, you mentioned the U of A. And uh, in your in your questionnaire, you also made this very vague reference about not being in Edmonton for long. And I wasn't sure if that meant you were going to go back to uh, Saskatchewan. Now you've mentioned the U of A. So (laughs) tell me what your plans are as you undertake this degree.
1: Well, I'm definitely going to finish the degree at the U of A. But I'm not certain that I'll do my master's at the U of A. So that's all I was alluding to but I would never go back to Saskatchewan <laughs> there's there's a
0: master's oh interesting you're already planning way ahead
1: <laughs> yeah that's kind of the the issue with what I want to do is that getting just an undergrad isn't going to get me where I want to be so
0: well let's talk about the undergrad first and then we'll we'll get into the master's or the the plan for the future so you mentioned to me this is a four-year program the undergrad piece of it you've yes. got one and a half years left Um, I'm wondering if you can paint a picture about what courses you need to take to um, get through the next 18 months and finish the degree.
1: Oh, my God, my next year and a half is absolutely insanity. (laughs) I'm uh, yeah, I'm very nervous for this next year. Actually, I was accepted into the honors program. Which is very exciting, of course, but um, because of Covid, everything is obviously online. And so I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, but I am interested to find out. Um, most of my courses are lab- based, so um there's always a lab component and then a lecture component. and it is very lab heavy for the next year and a half. It's all four hundred level classes. Um, I might be able to throw in like a couple of fun classes here and there, but most of it will just be me looking at bones in a lab.
0: <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, the, all that lab-based stuff. I mean, have they given you any indication about how that's going to work in a distance learning scenario?
1: I would love to tell you that they have, but they have not. Um, one of my labs is actually in person. So I'm pretty curious to see how that's going to go in the fall. Hopefully it goes well and there's no outbreaks or anything because I think that you know starting out in the lab and then having to move the lab home would be very difficult um but all of the other labs are going to be online as far as i've been told i just don't really understand the logistics of it yet hopefully next week they'll send something out because school starts
0: (laughs) yeah hopefully they've got some i mean my my sense um kind of um, being around post-secondary circles right now is everybody is is really scrambling to make things happen and um I think is is trying to work things out um, as they go uh, at the U of A. So, so there's that component. Um, do you, how I many people, imagine. yeah, so, so um, in a normal scenario, um, like how many people would be in your lab? Would you be doing a lot of group work or what exactly would that look like?
1: The labs are quite small, actually. I would say on average, there's probably like between 12 to 20 of us in a lab setting at a time. Um, and no, it's, it's not group oriented at all. It's um, station oriented. So you essentially start at a station, you learn about the bones at that station, and then you move on.
0: So there's some opportunity to be maybe a bit distanced, even in, in a lab scenario, then it might work out.
1: You know what, I think that they can really, yeah, I think that they can do a really great job with it. Now. So it's
0: been a decade since you were um, in university the first time. Can you ta- tell us a bit about uh, the transfer credit sort of system? Like, did you get full credit for everything that you've done up until this moment? Or do you have to redo anything? Or or what's it like, um, given the lapse in time?
1: Oh, yeah, that part was not my favorite. Um, they did transfer a lot. I will give them credit for that. The... <laughs> ah the guidelines have changed right it's been a decade what do I expect so the biggest curveball that was thrown to me last year is that you now have to take a second language and so I picked Spanish because obviously I love you know tacos and wanted to go to Mexico and be able to order in Spanish (laughs) but um, being in a 100 level course (laughs) as a 33 year old woman was something else so
0: Something else in what way, how, how, what was going on when you're taking that Spanish course?
1: (laughs) Well, I could be most of the kids. I call them kids because I mean, let's be honest. They are. Um, Most of them could be my children. And so it was always so funny because I'm a pretty uh, like easygoing, lighthearted person. And I don't think that they assumed my age. But when they would find out my age, um, watching their facial expressions and then like calculating the numbers in their head and then coming back to me with, oh, my God. So when you graduated high school, I was born (laughs) like they're just so shocked that there's this old woman in their class. And I'm Yeah. Anyways, it was. Oh, Kirsten,
0: you are not old by any stretch. My goodness, you are in your (laughs) early (laughs) thirties. I am not going to share how old old I am
1: until
0: that. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, enough about the transfer credits. Um, Tell me a bit more about how you're feeling right now. Like, are you nervous? Are you excited? Like, how do you feel about going back to school, particularly since we are in a pandemic? Uh,
1: I wish that I was 18. For the next year because I think I would take it off honestly I don't think that I would go back for the next year and a half um just because my program is so lab-based it's so I don't know it's so important to be in the lab and see the bones and touch the bones and see how they work together um I'm in a really lucky spot that I am older and you know I have some savings so I <laughs> This is so embarrassing. I have made my own lab at home. I bought a completely disarticulated skeleton, and I lay it out. And (laughs) if anyone came over in the middle of that, I don't know what they would think. But anyway, so. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, but that is a very unique situation for me. I don't think any of the the kids, as I call them, um, have that sort of opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I love this.
0: Oh, my gosh. I need a picture of your lab so that we can post this when we promote this episode. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm getting a visual of the neighbors coming over and you have this skeleton laid out in your living room.
1: (laughs) Yes, I make sure to close all of the blinds while I have her out. Oh, my God
0: oh my <laughs> um yeah well this is a good segue into uh into how your spouse might be feeling about all of this because you mentioned that you're married so uh how's your spouse feeling about you going back to school
1: oh this is completely his doing i would say he's uh he's definitely the biggest proponent of me going back he's always told me how brilliant i am and how i need to use my brain muscle more so he's definitely happy and actually He did his first degree in archaeology at the U of S. So he's super interested in what I'm doing, which also helps.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. It does help, right? Um, Yeah, Yeah. that's so nice. And that's one of the themes I found in talking to people on the show is that having the support of your family, of your spouse in particular, um, as you take on this journey, is is just such an important piece of being successful. So that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I couldn't imagine not having that yeah
0: now earlier we were talking about the topic of missing and murdered indigenous women um and, and that was you know one of the early reasons you're kind of drawn to this field. but then in your questionnaire, you said, you know now you are older and wiser um, and maybe have tempered your <laughs> your expectations a bit can you can you kind of unpack that for us and tell us a bit more about what you meant by that?
1: Uh, mostly, I'm just speaking to the you know political side of that. there isn't a lot of funding for Um, searching for these women to be frank like it's we talk about reconciliation in this country and my opinion of that is that a lot of it is just band-aids like we're not actually doing the work we're just saying that we're doing something that isn't actually bringing closure for these people and I don't know it's not (laughs) Is it meaningful reconciliation? I don't know. But (laughs) that's mostly what I'm poking at is that like political bear. And if I graduate in a year and a half, um, you know, I don't know how long we'll have Trudeau around. And he seems to be the first guy who's taking any of this seriously. And my prediction is that we will go back to a conservative country after that. And most of the funding for Indigenous things will be shoved under the rug again so um a big part of it is funding um politically and then you know the second part is that like there's just not i don't know what to call it there's like a lack of care in society to pursue these things like i don't yeah i don't know it's not top of mind it's not it's not important enough to us so um talking to a really amazing forensic anthropologist in Canada recently, I learned that sometimes in this career, you have to actually create your own um, space and your own career within society. So you have to sort of get creative and use your entrepreneurial creative mind to um, like find these gaps. Um, For example, like she made her own career with the military in Canada, um, because they couldn't identify World War One soldiers. And so they were just burying them in these unmarked graves. And uh, she just said, you know, I can identify these people for you. Like, why are you just doing this? Don't just bury them. Like, let me dig up these bones and give closure to these families. So um, yeah, anyway, she she created a position for herself at the at the Canadian military. And so that's sort of what I'm just alluding to is that I don't think that my future in biological anthropology is going to be like cut and dry. I'm not going to just like become a professor and that'll be the end of my story or something like that. I think that um, I'm going to have to do some digging and some searching and yeah, maybe even creating my own position someplace. So Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of a nice segue into this next question that I have for you, which is about taking the past and kind of marrying it with the present and you know, you mentioned being a serial entrepreneur and uh, you've run a successful business, um, uh, many of them. So I'm wondering about how you see, like taking this last 10 years of your life, running businesses, being a photographer, working with people, how do you see all of that kind of intersecting with this next thing about where you're going? Um, and, you know, how did the, I guess I'm, I'm wondering about transferable skills and And how this is all going to kind of work together to form the next chapter of your life.
1: Great question. Am I allowed to be honest? (laughs) You bet. (laughs) (laughs) So when I went back to school, I got really excited that I didn't have to deal with alive humans anymore. I thought this will be so nice. I won't have to use any of my skills from my past. I can just deal with dead people. Like how amazing is this going to be? But then, (laughs) you know, that's not true. Um, My old skills are going to come in very handy because as we all know, networking and who you know is so important and that's no different in academia. It doesn't matter if you have a 4.0 and everything looks good on your CV if you can't hold a conversation and meet new people and find opportunities, what what is life? Where does it go?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, so true. And uh, I, I find that hilarious um, <laughs> that you didn't want to deal with live people <laughs> so yeah, much. Yeah,
1: i was done with
0: them. <laughs> but you know, it, it makes sense because you were intersecting with people at, um, at a, a very a key moment in their life, you know, hiring someone to capture a wedding or the birth of a child or, or, you know, something, Absolutely. something momentous, some o- occasion that was momentous. And and also let's face it stressful. Um, totally. I think we, we've all seen the bridezilla type shows and um, we all hope that we're not
1: <laughs> like that, but we know people <laughs> who are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, I always tell people I feel like I have a psychology degree, like by proxy just from being a wedding photographer, because the emotions on a wedding day are out of control.
0: Well, I think that's going to serve you well um, in academia or wherever uh, you find yourself carving out uh, your next career. I want to talk, though, about the master's, because I think this is really cool that you're already kind of thinking ahead to that. So would this be just kind of a continuation on in biological anthropology or or what exactly have you specced out which program you would you would look at for the master's?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. I initially... When I went back in, I thought, okay, just keep the master's in mind, because if you do want to do forensics, you're going to have to get more training than an undergrad. Um, So that's where my brain was initially. You're going to have to do forensics. You're probably going to have to move. I don't know. I assume to the States, but because of COVID now, you know, maybe Europe or just stay in Canada. But there's not a lot of forensic opportunities in Canada um, for a master's program. There is one like on the West Coast, but at SFU. Um, and there might be one on the East Coast, but there's all, honestly, it's it's pretty drab here, which is good. Canada's a very safe place. I'm I'm happy to report that we don't need a lot of forensic stuff here. That's <laughs> um, good. <laughs> but yeah, but now honestly, like after being at the U of A and being paired with the most incredible academic advisor, um, I feel inspired by her, and I love. Learning from her, and so my perspective has kind of changed on it. Um, I would love to you know stay at the U of A with her, um, and just learn from her because she's so incredible. So it's interesting that, like, you go in thinking it is solely based on academia and where you can get you know the most um exceptional masters in forensics, but then you meet these people that are so inspirational that are doing something that isn't exactly lining up with you, but you feel um, impassioned to stay with them because they just inspire you so much. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I will go.
0: <laughs> or, yeah. No, you, or, make, yeah, you what make a will focus fantastic point that you make in terms of, It's not always just about the content of a program that's really important, Mm -hmm. but it's about who's behind the program and the people that you meet. And so I think that's a fantastic point. Um, Now, what's the biggest thing that you're looking forward to uh, in terms of your back to school journey? What are you really excited about?
1: (laughs) Am I allowed to say being done?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're we're carrying on this theme of authenticity and honesty, so for sure, yeah. um. No, I'm
1: I'm really honestly enjoying being back in school. I think that I was letting my brain get a little rusty over the last ten years. Um, I was so dead focused on making a career out of photography that that is exactly where my brain was at all hours of all days, Um, and I was losing out on so much around me. There's so much to learn. Our our Life is just full of nuggets that we can learn about. And so, anyways, I'm excited that I'm back in school and I am reading textbooks that are, you know, sometimes hard to chew through, but. Um, I'm stretching my brain, which it actually like physically feels like it's stretching. I don't know if you've had that sensation at all, but like, I'm like, wow, I haven't used my brain in a long time. It needs a good stretch. Um, but yeah, I feel like we all sort of get into that trap in our like late twenties when we get into these careers of ours and we stop learning new things. And so this has been, um, a really awesome opportunity for me to just keep, learning new things and i'm excited for the next year and a half because it will be um it'll be more um like concise on what it is that i want to do like in specifics with like bones and osteology and um disease of bones and stuff like that but more generally i'm just excited to keep learning new things every day because i think as adults we stop doing that
0: yeah i totally agree with you and i can relate to the whole being rusty thing but also being excited about um learning new things Um, but also I I mean I had a lot of anxiety too about going back and I'm wondering you know what's the thing that what's keeping you up at night what's making you anxious about uh, going back to school
1: you should call my best friend actually because (laughs) on the first day of school last September I called her and I was standing outside of the U of A and I was looking at the doors and I was like Kelsey I can't go in there (laughs) And she's like, yes, you can. It's going to be fine. And I was like, no, they're all just so much younger than me and smarter than me. And oh, my God, the anxiety just to walk into the university was so much. So, after, so you know, maybe... At, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking about going back to school, this is kind of the opportune time because it's all online. So you don't have to physically enter. You're not
0: confronted with that, with that whole age differential in person.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's crippling. I can't even describe it. Yeah. And you just think like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. And this is stupid, but um, you know, that's not true. And I,
0: I kind of wonder, you know, is, is this I look at this and I, I speak to, as I said, you are very young, Kristen. Um, I have guests on the show that um, are, are much older than both of us and um, and they've managed to make this work and they managed to kind of overcome uh, those concerns. I am wondering, though, if academia can do a better job of just making people feel welcome. That's something that um, I've thought about um in terms of who they're serving and how they're serving people, because it seems to me there's a lot of folks like us who are looking at, um, at changing things. And so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: That's a really valid point. Um, I've never thought about that. I think that it's (laughs) academia wants to keep itself in this like elite vortex, right? Like they want themselves to be untouchable. People who are, um, academics aren't, usually, and this is obviously a sweeping generalization, but they're not usually super personable. right? <laughs> and so I don't, I don't know how they would fix that. Um, So ten, 10 years ago, when I was in university, I felt like my professors were untouchable. I was scared to talk to them, to email them. Um, I didn't want to call them by their first name, but do they want to be called professor first and then their last name? Like I didn't know how to approach them. Um, And I feel like that has actually really changed in the last 10 years. And um, I don't know if it's the kids these days just aren't scared of them. Like if that's just a generational thing, or if the professors have become a little bit more lax um, about like not being, com- you know, comrades with their students. But it definitely feels like a different environment.
0: That's super interesting. And it's funny because I, I chalk that up to me being older, just being able to, to you know, call professors by their first name or have yeah. more of that kind of relationship with them. But um, but that's interesting that you're you're observing that in even a younger generation. It might just be how that generation has related to adults, perhaps. Interesting. Totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head for sure.
0: And so, you know, you've been basically, if I'm understanding this right, you you kind of went you started back last September. So now this is kind of like the last little piece or the last push that you need to do. Um, Mm -hmm. If you could maybe just sum up the last year of, you know, being being back to school um, after a long time, like what were the big things that you learned and what was the advice? what, What advice would you give to someone who's looking at contemplating this journey for themselves?
1: Wow. (laughs) Hindsight is amazing. I think that when I went back last September, I didn't give it the time credit that it needed. I thought I can run a business full time and I can also go to school full time and it will all be okay. (laughs) And that is not true. Um, University is definitely time intensive and you get out what you put in which is super cliche, but it's very true.
0: I have these magical moments on the show where I meet someone for the first time, and I feel like we have a shared history that we could talk for hours. That's how I felt connecting with Kristen Zabos. No wonder she was such a great wedding photographer. She is super personable. I'm always excited when people share what's really on their heart and tell it like it is. Kristen painted a very authentic picture of being an entrepreneur that I think gets missed when we romanticize the idea of running our own business. The business is always on, it never sleeps. That's a tough part of being an entrepreneur. There are also the good parts, of course, and obviously as a serial entrepreneur, there were a lot of good parts for Kristen. I also loved her story about the trepidation she felt going into the classroom that first time And how she felt like the mom i get that lastly i couldn't help but wonder where does one buy a skeleton amazon i had to know so i googled it and sure enough you can get a medical grade skeleton on amazon also anatomywarehouse.com just in case you feel the urge to order one that's our show today i hope you enjoyed it a huge thanks to our sponsor, Athabasca University, for generously supporting the show. You can find out more about their many educational offerings at athabascau.ca. If you like the show, please give us a rating. It helps other people connect to us. You can reach me at backtoschoolagain.ca or at schoolagainpod on all the usual social channels. I'd love to hear your story. Back to School Again was recorded on Treaty 6 Territory, the traditional homelands of First Nations and Métis people. Special thanks to our talented technical producer, Corey Stroder. Back to School Again is proud to be affiliated with the Alberta Podcast Network. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. See you next time.